In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning, Happy New Year, and thank you for braving the traffic uh, this morning to make it to church. You know, it was, it was really after Christmas. We had such a wonderful Christmas here, and then um, our family took off for a, a few days out of town, and it was really on that trip after Christmas, I realized, I just finally took the time to realize uh, that we were facing a whole new decade. Uh, you know, in one sense, it, it was uh, just like any other New Year's. I mean, I, I wanted to go to bed before the ball dropped. It dropped in London, so, I, you know, that was good enough. But, um, but, but in another sense, and I don't know if it hit you like this, but, but the, the calendar seemed to make this one a little more important. You know, just a little more meaningful, have a little more gravity, uh, because it's a time not to look back just at, at a year, but at a decade. You know, where were we 10 years ago? And to look forward, not just to the new year, but to the new decade. And, and it's always, any New Year's, but especially, I think, on a, a decade marker like this, it's, it's time to take stock of where we are and where we want to be. Uh, with our family, with our finances, with our uh, careers, with our health. And if surely, if, if it's true about all those things, that it's time to take stock, then it must also be true about our faith, right? Um, and so, so thinking in that vein, it dawned on me that this is actually a really important sermon. It's an important sermon. Uh, it's, it's the first time we have gathered uh, for public worship as a church family this decade. You know, I mean, I know we, gra- we gathered last week, but, but the calendar turned. And so this decade is the first time we've gathered together. This will be the first sermon that many of you will have heard uh, this decade. So let me ask you, where were you in your faith in Christ 10 years ago? Where were you in your faith in Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus 10 years ago? How have you grown in Him? And where would you like to be in Jesus in 10 years? Have you given any thought to that? Have you given any thought? How will you grow? There's really no more important endeavor that you can undertake or that you can give thought to and time to. I came uh, recently across a uh, quote by Charles Spurgeon, uh, who was the great prince of preachers in the, in the 1800s in London. And on January 7th, 1855, so almost exactly however many years that is uh, ago, um, he, uh, he said this to his congregation. He said, The highest science... The loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Nothing will so humble the heart. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect. Nothing will so magnify the whole soul of a person as a devout, earnest, and continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And whilst humbling and expanding, the committed study of God is eminently consoling. 
Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. In the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. So with that, on this twelfth day of Christmas and this first Sunday of the decade of the 2020s, I want for us to turn, maybe unusually, to the psalm appointed for the day. And as we do so, this is Psalm 84, we have a clean slate the size of a decade in front of us. And I want for us each to really take stock of our relationship with God. Now the Psalms, as you may know, were essentially the first book of common prayer. You know, they were the, prayer, the prayers that Jesus would have used in, in public worship all of His own life. And the Psalms teach us how to approach life uh, with faith. And what really jumps out to me uh, about Psalm 84, especially on this occasion, why I would want to turn here rather than the really theologically rich passage that we have from, uh, from Jeremiah or Matthew, what makes me want to turn here is that, that this is a psalm that expresses the author's deep longing for God Himself. The deep longing for God Himself. It is not theoretical. It is not simply one among a variety of desires. Uh, There is in this psalm a longing for the presence of God which is primary, convinced, joyful, and delighted. And as we enter this new decade, I just have found myself arrested, really challenged by this delighted longing for God in this psalm. This longing for God above all else. Do I have that? Do we have that? Do you have that? And so to focus our attention on the God whose majesty and love tower above everything else that competes for our attention... I want to draw your attention to three Beatitudes that are in this psalm. I noticed that there, I know the psalm actually takes up two pages. They're all on the second page. Um, The Beatitudes follow the same pattern as the Beatitudes you'll be familiar with from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. Sometimes you may know that that word blessed is translated happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, which doesn't sound quite right, right? Happy are those who mourn. That doesn't really sound uh, quite right to us. And and to get the full sense of the word that's being translated there as blessed or happy, you kind of have to smush those two words together. Blessed and happy, because the happiness isn't, it's not not exactly circumstantial, like I'm I'm so happy I um, made it through the marathon traffic, or I'm so happy I caught every light on San Jose. Um, and the blessed, blessedness isn't, um, it's not just the fact of, of the divine dispersible of good things. Uh, it's, it's, this, it's a sort of blessed happiness 
or a happy blessedness. This, this, it is spiritually relational uh, with God. There's this warm, settled contentment that comes from knowing God and resting in His favor. That's what, that's what the Word is trying to get at. And so the three Beatitudes of Psalm 84. Happy are, happy are they who dwell in your house, for they will always be praising you. The next verse, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. In the last verse of the psalm, O Lord of hosts, happy are they who put their trust in you. So the ones who are happy or blessed in this sense, according to the psalm, are those who are dwelling, strengthening, and trusting. Dwelling, strengthening, and trusting. So let's look at those each. Uh, First, happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. If you were to turn over and see the opening line of the psalm, you see uh, more of this same sentiment. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts. My soul has a desire and a longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. Now, we all said that. It's kind of easy to just kind of monotone it, right? My heart and my flesh rejoice. Like, it doesn't really follow. I mean, this is an incredibly uh, effusive Sentence. And the psalmist has this joy that uh, in worship, this joy in worship that is emanating from the core of his being. It's physical. It's taken him over. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. He says. And I got to tell you that I don't think that this is because he's come to church and the preacher's really good. Or that the church is pretty, or that the choir is good, or the setting is nice behind him. I don't think any of that is the case. He is coming and he is, he is in this joy because his heart is right with God. He is coming to the temple. He's ready for God. He's come to the church expecting to experience God's presence in worship. He's not coming because it's a habit or because he's checking off a box. But he's coming expecting to experience God in worship. He knows he's not going to be disappointed. Even if you look at the next verse, he envies the sparrows who who have made nests in the eaves of the temple because they get to live there and be close all the time. Now I'm going to tell you, you don't get to live here. That's that's not how we're going to apply this. But um, you can get your heart ready for worship. You can daily read your Bible and expect for God to show up. You can join a small group or a Bible study and expect to get to know God through His Word and His people. You can set your heart to praise God even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And you can create habits that prioritize seeking after God on a daily basis so that when you show up every Sunday to worship, you are expectant. You're ready. You're prepared to meet with God. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm I'm here. I get paid to come here, right? You people pay me to come here. And you come here because you want to be here. You're sort of a volunteer here, right? 
And I can imagine that it's, it's easy to let your mind wander. You, say the, you pray the same prayers every week. You kind of hear the same message every week. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know I heard, you know, like, and, and pretty soon your mind is distracted and you're making your grocery list, right, in your mind. Or you're thinking about the uh, doctor's appointments that you have coming up this week. Let me remind you, you are the dwelling place of God Almighty, <laughs> He is in you, and you, by the Holy Spirit, are in Him. And and sometimes we have to remember just how amazing that is, because we get distracted. But the psalmist says, happy are those who dwell, who linger in the house of the Lord. They will always be praising you. Always be praising you. Can we make this decade, can we make worship a priority. Now, I know I'm speaking to the people who braved the traffic uh, coming here uh, this morning, but, but can we just say that if, we, if we're not going to make it in the morning, that we're, we're going to make it at 5.30? Because we, we're not doing it to be more religious. We're doing it because we have a relationship with the living God. Like we, can we just acknowledge that what Scripture says is that dwelling with God like this makes us happy. Makes us happy in that blessed sort of way. So first we have uh, happier they who dwell, and then next we have happier those whose strength comes from the Lord. We're strengthening. Happy are the people whose strength is in you. This blessed happiness comes to those who find their strength in God. Now this is about having the strength of character to face what life throws at you. And actually to, to have the strength of character to face what life throws at you in a way that is honoring and pleasing uh, to the Lord. Happy are they whose strength comes not from uh, looking deep within themselves, not from working the latest self-help methods. Happy are those whose strength is in God. Now the question then is how do we get that strength? How do, I mean that's, how do we, how do we get that blessedness, that happiness? How do we get that strength? Well, St. Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, is not the reading for today, but he actually tells us, he gives us a great example, and he's writing in 2 Corinthians 12 about his weakness. Now, you may remember, Paul has what he calls a thorn in his flesh. A thorn in his flesh. And he doesn't tell us exactly what that is, and there's been a lot of speculation uh, uh, by scholars and, and preachers throughout the years uh, about what that could have been. It might have been a moral temptation or even a moral failure. Uh, it might have been a person who was just irritating and, and or, um, destructive to Paul's ministry. It could have been um, some sort of uh, something physical, some physical ailment, like depression or anxiety. But whatever it was, Paul says he wants it gone. This is what he says. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, there's the strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, says Paul, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And listen, I don't know what the decade ahead of you holds for you any more than you do, uh, but I know this. I know because the life is like this that there's going to be some hard moments. There's going to be some difficult decisions to make. And those are the moments to let God be strong, to take our hands off the wheel, let go, let Him drive, to let His power be made perfect in weakness. And I know that's a lot easier said than done. I know that that's terrifying to give up that control when you don't know what's going to happen. But the psalmist actually says it leads to our happiness, our blessedness. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose power is made perfect in our weakness. So first we have dwelling. Second, strengthening. Third, happy are they who put their trust in you. We have trusting So the decade is beginning, and I can encourage you to dwell with God to make worship a priority. I can exhort you to let God be strong in your weakness, but if we don't trust Him, then the first two are going to fade pretty quickly. They they will. If difficulty arises and we're not sure that God is uh, out for our good, if we're not sure that, that God is... Uh, for us and making us a priority to Him in a sense, not sure that He's going to do better with our lives than we will, then we're going to find other places to spend our time and our other sources to provide our strength. Trust is crucial. The psalmist says, Happy, blessed are they who put their trust in you. But how do we learn to trust God? I mean, the image that comes to mind is like a a patient on the table handing the scalpel to the surgeon, right? And there's a lot of trust there. How do do we, I mean, in that situation, you know that this surgeon is is going to, is capable and is going to be out for your good, is going to make, make you well. How do we give that sort of trust to the Lord? I would say two ways. The first is foundationally, and the second is experientially. Foundationally, to build trust in God, we look at Jesus Christ. We look at Jesus Christ. Now, if we're looking at God as this sort of celestial bookkeeper in the sky who's really just concerned with the naughty and the nice list, then then that's not very compelling, is it? It's not transforming. It's not magnetic. It doesn't draw us to Him. uh, But... If we believe Christmas, if we believe that God so loved the world that He put on flesh, that He inserted Himself into this world in a miraculous way, not as a military general or um, in, in, who, was, who came to, to wreak havoc and to, and to make sure we behave, but as He came as a baby who needed to be fed and kept warm. 
we believe that he came to live the perfect life that we should have lived in, in order to die the death in our place that we deserve to die, if we believe that he, he came to save us and to love us, to forgive us, to dwell with us, to be our strength, to promise us eternal life with him, if we believe the gospel, we see that he is worthy of our trust. And you come each week to hear that message again, that gospel message to to sort of give us a shot in the arm, but, but you also need to know it well enough to preach it to yourself. Because there is going to be there will be times when you need to remind yourself and to build up that trust in God. So foundationally, we we learn to trust God by by looking at Jesus to see that He's worthy of our trust. But, but experientially, we learn to trust God by trusting God. And when we trust Him and we see that He's trustworthy, then we trust Him again the next time. I, I, I'll give you just a, a recent example for me of a time that I had to trust God and I actually put this in the e-news because you know, there's a lot of people that put a lot of work into the lab nativity. And it was fantastic, but, but it, and it was going to be incredible. And, and we looked at the weather and it wasn't looking good, y'all. I mean, it was, it was like a hundred percent chance of I don't, tornadoes or something. I mean, it was just, it was really, it was going to be awful. And I was kind of freaking out about it. And I was in this pew on my knees on Friday. And, um, and it was like the Lord just said, be quiet. I've got this. And I walked out side and um, Danny Copeland, if you know Danny, she said, you got to look at this. And there was the rainbow. If you saw it in the in the E news, there's a rainbow over. It just it was like landed in the fourth station. It was the it was the same width as the building that we had. And and remember the the, the rainbow is God's sign that it's not going to flood. And so um, I, it was just like the Lord said, uh, "Good morning, I'm God, and I will be handling your problems today. I will not need your help. Have a great day." Right? And so. Um, and, and it was just another chance. And we did. We got to put, we got all three hours uh, on Friday night and all three hours on Saturday night. And 800 people came through the live nativity. And we didn't get to do it on Sunday. And that's up to God. He's in charge of the rain. We have to trust him with that. But, but it was just a faith building moment for me to watch. And really, I mean, the weather radar, it was green all around us all day long. And it was just amazing to watch the Lord preserve uh, that great ministry. Um, the, life, the Christian life is constantly turning over the reins to God, t- taking our hands off the wheel. We learn to trust by trusting. The psalmist says that the Lord is both sun and shield. He is both the sun and the shield. He will give grace and glory and no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. So as we, as we step into a new decade, the 2020s, can we intentionally cultivate within ourselves a longing for God above all else? A longing like the psalmist has. A longing that is based not on our own effort or squeezing real tight uh, when we pray, but but is based on His gospel and His promise and His character and and an increasing lifetime of trusting Him.
and watching Him work. Happy are those who put their trust in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as a church family, we come before You knowing that while we do face, in one sense, a clean slate, we, have, we bring all sorts of things from the last week and the last year and the last decade with us. Things that we need for You to handle. Opportunities for us to take our hands off the wheel and to trust You. God, You're going to have to do the work in us. But let us not be passive in that. Let us be uh, active participants of repenting, and trusting and receiving your forgiveness and learning to love you more and more each day. Would you help us, Lord, above all else, to long for your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.